Are you ready for God's word? Now, I do realize that um, yesterday was kind of a rainy day and, and kind of a lazy day maybe for some of you, especially since it's a beginning of college football. Come on, how many of us can celebrate that? College football is starting again. I love college football because it doesn't impact Sunday. That's the NFL. College football, you can just relax and enjoy it and, and just... You know, and I figured I'd uh, celebrate my Baylor Bears since they did pretty good. They started off well. I might not get another chance to wear it, so I'm going to go ahead and... And, and I've learned that um, college football improves my prayer life. I, I spent a lot of time praying for my team, you know, and, and, and uh, no, but in, in all seriousness, God gives us all things for us to enjoy. So I pray that you do enjoy time with your family and especially... Uh, tomorrow we have a day off, and so I pray that you would enjoy that time with your family, and that you would you would take advantage of that time to be with your family, to to love each other, spend some time doing what you like. Maybe maybe family's out of town, and and you're by yourself, and spend some time just doing something special for you. Um, I do want to I do want to let you know we're in the in the middle of the sermon series entitled David, David, and uh, David's a such a special character. I mean, it has been such a delight to cover his life. And someone told me, some, or someone asked me, Pastor, is this going to be an eight-week series? I usually do six-week series. And then occasionally I'll go eight weeks. I thought actually that I would do 10 weeks. And now I'm thinking it might go 12. So who knows when we'll finish, but we're going to let God decide and meaning what 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 I what I mean by that is that I truly believe that when you pray and you concentrate and you study and you look over it and you're asking for guidance sometimes um you'll feel prompted in your heart your spirit to move on sometimes you'll you'll be prompted to sit and wait a minute and just and just go through the material and so I've been feeling prompted to just sit and not rush it let's just let's just take its time and and let David's life speak to us you know how many of you have been inspired by David's life? He's, you can't help but be inspired, you know. And so as we, as we go through this, I'm going to ask you to, to bring your Bible. I shared that with first service and someone from first service came and told me, they said, Pastor, um, I, I don't bring my Bible because I'm tempted to try to follow along with you and you cover too much. So I write it all down and then I go home and read it and make sure you're telling me the truth. I said, great. That's exactly what I want you to do. Um, and I also want you to learn to, to carry a hard copy. How many of us know that having a hard copy is important? Uh, something you can take notes in, someone, something you can, you can memorize and, and chronicle what God has told you through the years and how God will, will tell you new things as you come to familiar passages that you thought you knew and the Lord still continues to reveal his goodness through those familiar passages. And then one day I look forward to to leaving my Bible for my children and that they may remember that this was dear and near to my heart. Amen. So today, as we cover David, we've come to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 27, 28, 29, and 30. Now 29, we'll wait for another day, but we'll still cover it, so to speak. And so as we cover these four chapters, you can't help but realize that that it kind of centers around this location called Ziklag. And so I've entitled the message, 
Ziklag. And you might be asking yourself, what is Ziklag? Ziklag is like it sounds. It's that place in your life where you are challenged. Where you are challenged to the point where you feel like you might break. Ever been there? Where you've come to the end of your rope, where you feel like you've been left alone and everything is conspiring against you and you feel, you feel completely crushed under the pressure. In fact, the Bible uses a word to indicate this pressing or crushing. It's a pressing like you would press an olive in an olive press. And the olive is something special, but it's even more special when you extract its oil that has so many uses. How about a grape that's pressed only to bring forth the fruit and the sweet drink of that vine? Or the way a potter would press the clay so that there's no air pockets into a mold and then bake it under tremendous heat so that it could have another use and yet and yet experience more than it was. See, this pressing is what we all go through and many times the Lord, God, allows us to go through it. You say, did he cause it? I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying that he causes it, but he allows us to go through a pressing for a very specific reason because what happens in that pressing is that you're no longer, you're no longer going business as usual. You're not on autopilot. You have to re-engage. And as you re-engage, you start to understand that, that, that pressing, that moment of agony, that moment of distress has you realize, am I going to trust in myself? Am I going to trust in others? Am I going to trust in the, in the, uh, uh, the things of this world? Or am I going to put my trust in God? And you see, that pressing is designed to get you to focus on God. And as you focus on God, the more you get to, to focus on God, the more you have an opportunity to grow your faith. Because after all, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that without faith, you cannot know God. And I need you to think about this with me for a second. Because it's one thing to know of someone. It's another thing to know that someone. I want to ask you a very uh, uh, important question. How many of you have heard of a man that we called President Trump? Okay. Well, I knew there's one in every service. I just want to let you know. Just, and I'm not getting on anybody. But in this house, Jesus Christ is the one we. Now, I, I. How many of you know of a man we call President Biden? I'm not going to be partisan here. We know a lot of President Biden, and we know a lot of President Trump. That's the truth. We know it through the various media sources through the different ways that their lives have been chronicled, and they've had a very public life. Have they not? So you know a lot about them, but let me ask you a very personal question. Do you know them? Would you be able to say, no, I know, I know them? 
See, is it possible to know of someone but not know them? Now, no, watch where I'm going because at the I'm coming I'm coming back to Jesus. Is it possible to know of Jesus but not? Come on now. It is possible. It is possible. And I want to remind you of what Jesus said. I want to remind you of what Jesus said. In the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7, that's the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this. He said, depart from me those who I never knew. He said, you knew of me. And much has been said about Jesus. There's been countless books written about Jesus. But the way you know Jesus is to, is to go through that ziklag moment and hold on to him or say, Lord, even when I let go, you hold on to me because today I put my trust in you. And Ziklag represents that moment in life where you reach the end of the rope, the bottom of the barrel, when everything else is falling away and you have but one option. Am I going to put my trust in me, this world, or you, Lord? And I choose you. I choose you, Lord. Now I'm getting excited because I want to stir something up in your heart today. I want to stir up a real sincere faith, the kind of faith where you let go of your trust in yourself, you let go of your trust in this world, and that's why I said it's not about President Trump, it's not about President Biden, it's not about any of the stuff the media would love for you to focus on, it's about Jesus. I mean like to be moved deep in your heart and to say, now more than ever we need to grab hold of his hand and put our trust in him like we've never trusted in someone before. That's what the Christian life is about. And that's what this message at a place called Ziklag shows us. You say, whoa, 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 whoa. Tell me more about this place called Ziklag. It was a Philistine city. It was a Philistine city given to David by a king of the Philistines. How does that happen? Well, read with me in chapter 27. But David thought to himself, one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. What does that mean? Now, last week we covered that this king, Saul, he was the first king of Israel that the people chose. He relied on himself and he cared more about what people thought than what God thought. Therefore, God rejected him after he disobeyed and disobeyed and disobeyed. And God said, I gave you what you wanted. Now I'm going to pick a king for myself that has a heart after mine. And he picked David. Now, this transition period was messy. Why? Because Saul had not yet been removed, he had been rejected. There's a difference between being removed and rejected. You want to know the difference? It's all over but the crying. That means it's going to happen, it just hasn't happened yet. But God has already said, you will be removed and David will be my king. Now in this transition, Saul starts to act very foolish. What does he do? He sets his mind on killing David. And so he has chased David throughout the countryside. David now comes to the point where he says, 
One of these days, he's going to catch up to me in a distracted moment. Therefore, I'm going to do something. The best thing I can do is to escape to the land of the Philistines. So David and the 600 men with him left and they went to Achish, son of Moab, king of Gath. When Saul was told that David had fled to Gath, he no longer searched for him. So he decided, I'm not going to search for him anymore. I'm just going to let it go, right? Now watch what happens. Then David said to Achish, if I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be assigned to me in one of the country towns that I may live there. Wait a minute. Pastor, what is going on? The Philistines are Israel's enemy. Exactly. But yet the Lord led him into this place and he found favor by the Lord's hand in this, in this king's sight. And he says, give me a place where I can live at peace. And so what does the king of Achish do? So on that day, Achish gave him Ziklag. This is the town. And it has belonged to the kings of Judah ever since. Sounds good, right? Sounds like a good plan. Sounds like everything is going well. Turn in your Bibles to chapter 29. The Philistines gathered all of their forces at Aphek. And Israel camped by the spring of Jezreel. As the Philistine rulers marched with their units... Hundreds and thousands, right? David and his men were marching at the rear with Achish. The commanders of the Philistines asked, what about these Hebrews? All right, chapter 27, Achish, you and I are friends, we're boys. Things are good between us. How many of you know that if you have someone that's been a huge enemy of yours and you have mad respect for them if they come to you and you know he's a man of his word and he says hey I need your help would be like maybe I should help him I'd rather what work together than fight him so Achish says absolutely I've known you to be a man of your word you want a city in my kingdom take Ziklag it's yours so 600 of your men with all your women and children could live there in peace and you live under Under my consent. Now, the Philistines are marching against Israel because Saul is still the figure king, right? Figurehead king. They're marching against. David is marching at the rear with his friend Achish. If you are one of the other commanders of the Philistines, what are you thinking? Come on. What are you thinking? Whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. David has killed his tens of thousands, and many of those were Philistines. And now he's buddied up with Achish. I don't know what kind of deal they have, but he's marching behind us, and we have his countrymen that we're going to encounter in front of us? Does this sound smart? We've got Hebrews in front, and we have Hebrews behind and we're going to fight not worried about who's what do you think they told Akish (laughs) I see some of you guys going this guy's got to go and that's exactly what they told Akish watch the Philistines were gathered verse 2 as the Philistine rulers marched with their units 
right? David and his men were in the rear. Verse 3, the commanders of the Philistines asked, what about these Hebrews? Verse 4, or or keep going with verse 3. Achish replied, is this not David, who was an officer for Saul, king of Israel? He has already been with me for over a year. And from the day that he left Saul until now, I have not found a single fault in him. He's been super faithful. But the Philistines' commanders were angry with Achish and said, send this man back. Let him return to the what? To the city you gave him. He must not go with us into battle or he will turn against us during the fighting because his heart, at the end of the day, his heart still loves his people. And this is what he says. He says, how better to get into his master Saul's good graces than to what? Help him defeat us. After all, they still sing. Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And so they send, Achish has to come to David and say, hey, my good friend, we don't want you to fight with us. Why don't you go back to Ziklag? This is where we pick up the story in chapter 30. And point one is, your worst nightmare happens at Ziklag. Your worst nightmare happens at Ziklag. What is Ziklag? Ziklag is when you feel everything is lost and your worst nightmare takes place and your heart falls into your stomach and it feels like the world is crushing the very life out of you and you don't know why you're experiencing such agony and everything is lost and you've just lost the love of your life. You've just been betrayed. I don't know what it is, but it's that moment where it seems like life has conspired against you. And we find this in chapter 30. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. So they had to march from Jezreel all the way back to Ziklag. It took them three days to get there. And when they got there, this is what they found. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it. And had taken captain, the women, and everyone else in it both young and old. They killed none of them, but they carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached the leg, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives, their sons, their daughters taken captive. David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. Put yourself in this place. You're walking, you're marching home and you see the flames. You see the smoldering smoke, maybe. Can you remember when the fires took our homes and you could, I was, I was looking back towards the state park, towards Tahitian village where we lived, and all I could wonder is, is my home there? Now imagine if your children and your spouse was there and you thought, surely they were burned alive. They didn't make it out. Or better yet, you knew that the only explanation was an evil raiding party came through. And you know what these evil raiding parties do to women and children. And so your heart sinks and you you experience your worst nightmare. What do you do in a moment like that? In desperation, people have said, I didn't know what to do, pastor. I just felt the pressure of life being squeezed out of me. And I wanted to run. I wanted to scream, but I had no strength to scream. And I fell to my knees and I got up and I didn't know what to do, but I knew I had to do something. 
But what do you do when something is so far out of your control? Maybe you've never been there and give honor and glory to God that you haven't. But life is tough. And if you haven't, you might soon. And so this applies to everyone in the room. At some point in our lives. And so, verse 6, and David was greatly distressed. That word distressed means to be pressed to the point that something is squeezed out of you. To be pressed like Jesus was pressed at Gethsemane. When, when his very nature was being squeezed out of him. And what came out? But that loving, beautiful nature that said, not my will be done, but thy will be done. And the cross I will gladly bear because I love the world. I love the world. And I love those I came to die for. And he was squeezed to the point that he shed blood. As, as, uh, instead of sweat, he shed blood. And so you have this thing going on here. Gee, he was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. So they were so bothered and they were so distressed that even his own men that had been super loyal, that had followed him through thick and thin, were now saying, let's stone him. Come on, when you reach that place called Ziklag, your worst nightmare, you have to go at it alone. Think about what Jesus did at Gethsemane. No one else was there. The 12 fell asleep. The three that were his inner circle fell asleep. He woke them up more than once saying, please, please, please. But God says, no, you've got to come at it alone. Because in that moment, he's revealing something about you and he's revealing himself to you. So that you will know him in a way you've never known him. As the one who never leaves you. He will never forsake you. As the one that will get you through. As the one though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I shall fear no evil because my God is with me. Do you think David just wrote that? Or do you think he lived it and then he wrote it? He lived it. And here you have point number two. And David encouraged himself. Do you know how important it is to be able to encourage ourselves? And I'm telling you something that I know that I know that I know. You cannot encourage yourself by looking to the world. You cannot encourage yourself by looking to others. You cannot encourage yourself by looking to man-made things. The only way you can encourage yourself is in the power and strength of the Lord. In the power and strength of the Lord. And it's interesting because today people are turning to all sorts of things. I mean, every day, and I'm not, I'm not discounting that, but I'm going to tell you from my heart. I think if we would spend more time encouraging ourselves in the Lord, we would need less counseling. Every day, pastor, do you counsel? Do you counsel? Do you counsel? Can you assign a counselor? Can you recommend a counselor? And some are legitimate needs. But can I tell you? God can get you through most of that, if not all of it. Do you hear me? But we don't know how to encourage ourselves in the Lord because we've, we've, stopped, we've stopped developing 
the art of spending time with God, just you and me, Lord. And when you go through a ziklag, everything else melts away and you have no choice but you and God. And it depends if you'll accept it or if you'll turn to someone else and say, no, no, I need, I need, I need a pill. I need, I, I need a time off. I need this, I need that. No, you need God. You need God. Listen to me. You need God. But it feels so bad. Yes, tell him about it. And wait there till he picks you up. And only he can. Only he can. No, watch. Watch. David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. While everyone else, and this is the thing. Don't you think he heard as he was kneeling down and seeking the Lord? He's like, hurry, Lord. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Come on. I don't know. I think I've told the Lord more than once, God, I don't know if I could have handled Ziklag. I think I would have gotten up and just started running in one direction. You know how much strength it took to just sit there and say, Lord, I'm not moving until you speak to me. If they stone me, they stone me, but I'm not moving. Notice what he didn't do. Joab, what do you think? Abishai, what do you think? Benaiah, what do you think? These are all of his mighty men that I'm mentioning. What do you think? Isn't that what we do so many times? Hey, can I tell you something? I just want to get your opinion on this. Well, well, Pastor Chris said this, and Arthur said this, and Brady said this, and Jamie said this, so I'm kind of leaning towards none of that. What do you think? Do you see what I'm saying? Notice what David does. He encourages himself in the Lord, and he asks the priest, verse 7, to bring the, the linen ephod. This is the garment that you, you cry out to the Lord and worship with. And David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Now watch what happens. Will I overtake them? And you know what God says? You will go. That means God will answer. But you need to go to that point where you put your trust in him, wait on the Lord, and understand this is how you fight your battle because this is how we fight our battles. Come on, someone feel me on this. This is how I fight my battle. Some may say that I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Some may say that I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded. Come on now. Some may say that I'm... This is why I say, and, and I know sometimes you don't know my heart, but this is why I say don't focus on President Biden. Don't focus on President Don't focus on that. They can't save us. God can. God is the one who needs to be big in your life. And you need to call on his name. And you need to say, Lord, it's about you and me, God. And the walk you want me to walk, God. That I may be true to what you've called me to do. That I may take my sword in my hand and walk every step by your power. That I may be the man you've called me to be. The woman you've called me to be. That I may encourage my children in your strength and not my own. That I may teach them a noble way. A righteous way. A way that means something based on your word, not on my intellect or what this world says is wise. This is what we're talking about here. Notice the difference between David, watch, watch, and Saul. 
Go back with me to verse chapter 28. Now Saul saw that the Philistine army, oh, excuse me. When Saul saw the Philistine army, comma, he was afraid. Terror, terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams, Urim, or prophets. Saul then said to his attendants, Find me a woman who is a medium. Find me a witch. Now some of you are saying, no, pastor, there's a difference. They're all witches. Let's just, let's just call it what it is. Some of you make too many distinctions. No, there's a sorcerer, there's medians, there's soothsayers. A witch is a witch is a witch. Can I get an amen? amen. Find me one so I may go and inquire of her. I say, you sure? There's still one in Endor. That just sounds like Lord of the Rings. Doesn't it? The witch of Endor. They said to him. So watch. Keep going with me. So you say, wait, wait, what, what's going on? What's going on here? This is what's happening. Remember, David was marching with the Philistines, with his friend Achish. They sent him home. They continued on. They meet Saul. Saul gets scared. Why is Saul scared? This is something very, very important that you have to grab if you want to understand David's life. Saul was scared because his focus was on himself and others. David was never fearful in that way because his focus was on God. See, if you fear God, you won't fear anyone else. If you don't fear God, you'll fear everything. This is where fear comes from. It comes from insecurity. That means you are not secure. You don't have enough money. You don't have enough strength. You don't have enough power. You don't have enough intellect. You don't have enough time. You don't have enough foreknowledge. You don't have enough anything because you are finite. But God is infinite. And so when you connect with the one that's more than enough, then who shall you fear? That's why the Bible says, if God be for you, who can be against you? If God has blessed you, no man can curse you. If... Do you see that? So David would rather disappoint you than God. David would rather disappoint anyone than God. Saul, on the other hand, cares too much about himself... That he would rather disappoint God. And therefore he's riddled with insecurity. How many times have we read Saul was afraid? That's a horrible way to live. Afraid. All the time afraid. So he's afraid. Now watch. So Saul disguised himself putting on other clothes. And at night he and two men went to this witch. Consult a spirit for me he said. And bring up for me the one that I name. But the woman said to him, Surely you know that Saul, what Saul has done, he has cut off all of the medians and the spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? Saul swore to her by the Lord, verse 10, As surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. Then the woman asked, 
Whom shall I bring up for you? Anyone intrigued? What's this crazy dude doing? Well, watch. Bring up Samuel, the great prophet, he said. Whoa, 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 wait, wait. See, Samuel has died. He has recently died. And he wants to talk to Samuel. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. What do you see? Tell me. The woman said, I see a ghostly figure coming up out of the earth. What does he look like? He said, An old man wearing a robe is coming, she said. Then Saul knew it was Samuel, and he bowed down. Watch this. Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I am in great distress. Isn't that the same word we just read? David was ungrate. So they're both being pressed. Why do you think the Bible is highlighting this for us? Because the Bible wants us to know you can handle it David's way or you can handle it Saul's way. Saul handles it the worldly way. David handles it the kingly way. Watch. Watch. I'm in great distress. I'm being pressed because when you're pressed, something's going to come out. And what's coming out of Saul is his selfishness. The Philistines are fighting against me and God has departed from me. He no longer answers me, either by prophets or by dreams or urine. You are I am. Those were little stones that the priests had that God would light up to indicate his will. There's nothing. They're just plain stones. They don't light up anymore. The light has gone. I'm in great distress. So I've called you to tell me what to do. Samuel said, why do you consult me? Now that the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy, the Lord has done what he predicted through me. I told you he would leave you. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbors, to David. Now, some of you might be thinking, this is so harsh. Why doesn't God just give the man a break? We've all been there. We've all failed God. We've all disobeyed. We've all put our trust in our own strength. Why doesn't he give him a break? Why doesn't Saul humble himself? It's the same reason this country's having issues with God right now, because we think God is here to serve us instead of us, him. See, Saul always had it mixed up. He thought God was there to serve him. When I call, you answer, Lord. You didn't show up, so I took matters into my own hands. Whoa, stop. God doesn't show up, you don't do anything. God says, wait, you wait. How long? Doesn't matter. You, you serve in his good pleasure. Oh, but I'm not a king. I'm not a king. I'm not required to have that kind of faith. I'm not required to obey like that. It's the same thing. See, we've got to get this this westernly, weird, just perverted mindset out of our hearts that somehow God is here to do what we want. We ask and he jumps. 
we pray, we show up, and somehow God does something. God is the great king of all glory. He sits high and lifted up above the highest heavens, the host of heaven's armies. He does what he wishes, how he wishes, when he wishes, with who he wishes, for as long as he wishes. And he doesn't have to consult a soul. And he definitely doesn't have to consult us. And when we get that deep in our hearts and we humble ourselves before him and we say, Oh, King of all glory, Lord, have mercy on me. I come to you. I come to you. Throwing myself on your mercy and grace, would you help me? Would you answer me? Let me, let me share something with you. What, had, what could Saul have done? It's the last thing he would have thought of. See, there's, there's these tribes that hunt monkeys. And they, they tie a, a jar with a small neck. And they put a shiny object in the bottom of that jar. And the monkey comes in. He can get his hand just barely in to grab that shiny object. And when he grabs it, it's too large to come out. What is the shiny object for Saul? Worldly position. He's so worried about his kingdom. Whose kingdom is it? Come on, whose kingdom is it? Whose throne is it? It's God's. But he won't let go of that. And he keeps insisting, Lord, there has to be a way where I can keep the shiny object. What if he were to let go and say, Lord, please forgive me, a sinner. God, I humble myself before you. I don't care about the kingdom. I care about you, Lord. Let David be established if that is your will, Lord. And let me not stay in his, uh, stand in his way. Let me honor you in everything that I do. That I may go to see you, Lord, whenever you call me. Faithful and righteous and good as I walk it out with you. But you got to what? And that's the one thing he couldn't do. You'll see later when David is rebuked by a prophet. That's what he does immediately. He lets go. He, he says, you can have the kingdom, God. Just don't take you from me. There's the difference. So watch what happens. Because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites. Now, who are the Amalekites? The Amalekites are the same evil group that just attacked Ziklag in the, ne- in the next few chapters. God had And this is what people always say. They say silly things like this. I couldn't believe in God because he's so so unmerciful. He, He orders the genocide of people. Do you realize that God literally says, I gave them generations, hundreds of years to change. And I, in my perfect foreknowledge, know they're not going to change. And I give them the time to do it and they become more and more and more evil. So out of mercy, I'm going to cut it off so that on the day of judgment, I won't have to judge them more harshly. Ooh. 
Saul, I need you to wipe them out. Saul refuses. They keep being a thorn in God's people's side. Now they have David's family. Saul is being judged. And listen to what the Lord says to Saul. The Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines. Tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. We can talk then. So what does Saul, I mean, what does God say to, to, what does God say to Saul and what does God say to David? And this is where we finish. What God says to Saul is you will die. What God says to David is you will live. What's the difference in the way they responded? Watch. What does Jesus say to us? If you hold on to your life, you will what? If you let go of your life, you will gain it. David lets go. He says, oh Lord, it's all about you. Come on, anybody hearing me on this? Anybody hearing me on this? Anybody saying, oh man, I want to be a David. I want to be a David. Lord, I'm letting go. Tell me, teach me, show me. Let me walk with you. This is what David is doing. Saul, now now I'm going to say something else. And I know I've been preaching a little harsh, but I feel like sometimes as a pastor, I need to to call it like it is. Don't you want me to call balls and strikes? All right, I'm calling balls and strikes here. If you consult medians, sorcerers, palm readers, soothsayers, fortune tellers, You're consulting witchcraft, witchcraft, and it brings death. That's what the Bible says. Not me. That's what the Bible says. It brings death. He might say, I don't take it that seriously. Saul didn't either. That's the point. He didn't either. David did. He took it very serious. So you say, okay, pastor, what do I do? Humble yourself. Say, Lord, forgive me for that. That's not a practice that you call me to do. In fact, your word forbids it. You call it an abomination. You say never to touch it. I have touched it. Forgive me and wipe me white as snow by the blood of Jesus Christ. By the blood of Jesus Christ. And then don't touch it again. Because ultimately, God wants you to overtake. Overtake your enemy. And succeed in your life. He answered David. And this was his answer. Go. You will overtake him. You will succeed. And David recovered everything and nothing was missing. Nothing was missing. You might be here say, Pastor, I don't know if my marriage could ever be recovered. I don't know if my business could be recovered. I don't know if I can recover everything that I've lost. Um... I would still say, let go. Let go. I will tell you this, it would be better than you think doing it God's way. So I'm standing before you having done more of this than this. But I've learned some things and I've learned that God is faithful and God is rich in mercy and when we start letting go and we humble ourselves 
The Bible literally says, I sit high, but I'll stoop low. I stoop low. Jesus Christ is a personification of that stooping low. And he says, I've come that you might have life and live it in the fullest way possible. So if you're here today and you need to let go of some things, if you're going through a tough time and you need to let go and just start focusing on God, stop worrying about what everybody else is saying, stop worrying about and just say, Lord, lead me through this. I promise you, I promise you based on his word, he will hear you. He will hear you. And he will establish his life for you. He will will give you back what the locust and the enemy has stolen. He will begin, he will begin to bring you into a promised land. One that he has created for you. One that he has set aside for you. Come on, is anyone here ready to trust the Lord for more? To say, God, I have. I've been, I've been holding on a little bit. So right now, as you take your communion supply, would you just have a conversation with the Holy Spirit? Would you just say, Lord, I have been holding on a little bit. I've been searching out things in my own strength and I've been, I've been getting fearful and insecure and time for me to just humble myself before you and to reach out by faith to your loving hands. Today I reach out by faith. Is there anyone here? Just between you and the Lord. I just want to reach out by faith, Lord. I put my trust in you, God, and I I proclaim, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit that I don't want to be a Saul. That today I choose I choose David's example for your glory, Father. Thank you for Jesus Christ and his perfect sacrifice. Lord, thank you for allowing your son to be pressed that his blood might wash me white as snow. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, I love you. Have a great, great week.